Hello everyone and welcome to episode 10 of the NFNL podcast. I'm your host Samuel Zito. It's safe to say it's been a big weekend right across the Northern Football Netball League despite there being only the one senior football game played across the league over the Queen's birthday weekend. In this edition of the podcast, we'll be joined by NFNL Chief Executive Officer Peter McDougall, who will provide clarification into the now well-publicised decision to amend the final score of the North Heidelberg and McLeod match played at Shelley Reserve over the weekend. Of course, that game finished on the day with North Heidelberg one point ahead. It has since been amended, and the result now stands at a draw. We'll also hear during this edition from the Northern Football Netball League Junior Representative Coordinator Rick Legasic to hear his thoughts on the 2019 AFL Victoria Metro Junior Development Series, which concluded over the Queen's birthday weekend. Of course, the Northern Football Netball League had six teams represented across the Junior Representative Carnival, which took place over both the Queen's birthday weekend and back through May. This weekend, the Northern Football Netball League is also proud to be supporting Fight MND as part of Socket 2 MND Round. We've caught up with Andrew Holmes from Fight MND, who provides an insight into the work the foundation is doing and is also going to detail the aims of Socket 2 MND Round, where we're proud to have many NFNL clubs supporting the cause, wearing the Big Freeze 5 socks across games to be played this weekend from June 14 and June 16. We hope you enjoyed the upcoming episode and we'll start with the Chief Executive Officer of the Northern Football Netball League, Peter McDougall. We're now joined on the NFNL podcast by the NFNL Chief Executive Officer, Peter McDougall. Obviously, there's been uh, plenty of attention drawn to the fact over the last 24 hours that the result from Saturday's game between North Heidelberg and McLeod has been overturned. The game will now stand as a draw, 11 goals, 5-71 to 10-11-71. That's despite the result on the day indicating a one-point win to North Heidelberg. Uh, Peter, can you just give us an insight as to um, how this came to be and, and the decision made to overturn the result and make it a draw? Yeah, thanks, Samuel. I'd just thought I'd take this opportunity to clarify uh, the outcome of the, the result. Uh, there seems to be a fair bit of confusion out there, as you said, over the last 24 hours. So it's a good opportunity just to help educate people on how we manage these processes. And, and in the first instance, yes, we film all our senior games each week. As a league, we don't sit and trawl through the video footage of every game looking for any incidents or reports or errors by umpires uh, and then wanting to change the outcome of any game. We don't do that as a rule of thumb. Uh, the only time we will refer to the footage is if we have a request from either club uh, about a matter that comes out of a game. And in this case, I must say that neither club put a request into us. So McLeod were probably surprised when they got a contact from us as well about this matter because it was news to them. Or our umpires or league officials can also raise um, anything that comes out of a game if uh, they're in attendance and see something that um, is not quite right. So therefore that allows us to investigate further to ensure that um, we manage any process uh, correctly. So in this case, um, it was brought to our attention that um, there was a scoreboard error uh, the error that we're talking about in this particular game is not a matter of the league overriding an umpiring decision because that's not correct. It was purely uh, an error made by the scoreboard and conscious of not wanting to uh, 
and put pressure on scoreboard operators who are good volunteers for clubs. So it's important to recognise that this is not about that. It's purely just that that was what happened, that there was an additional point added to the scoreboard incorrectly, which resulted from a, a free kick, which was a set shot, a goal from a North Hollywood player that missed and went out on the full. The boundary umpire and the goal umpires correctly called that as out on the full. Uh, it was probably fairly close to the point post and the scoreboard operator thought it was a point and added a point. Now, the play did continue as it would normally continue from a free kick of out on the full, so there was no change to the course of the game based on this error. It was purely just the scoreboard had it wrong. Unfortunately, uh, in most cases when there's an error with the scoreboard, at the end of the break, the two umpires, goal umpires will come together and verify that the scoreboard's correct. When they conferred at half-time, they found that one umpire had an extra point on their card, uh, which also matched the scoreboard, and the other goal umpire had one point less. At the time, they decided to go with the scoreboard and the other goal umpire, which now has been proven that the goal umpire that had the one point less was actually correct. So once we went through that process and we looked at the footage, uh, it was pretty clear that um, as it went out of bounds, you can see on the footage that the scoreboard went from two goals three to two goals four, which in turn then created a one-point difference at the end of the day. So uh, hopefully that helps to explain how this occurred. So we then notified both clubs that the, there was an error by the scoreboard operator, there was an error by the second goal umpire, as well, um, which in turn meant that the final score was incorrect. So what we've done is corrected that error, but at no stage is this questioning whether there's a goal on behind, kicked or overriding an umpiring decision. It is purely that correcting an incorrect scoreboard function. I'd imagine, Peter, as well, it's it's a decision that's that's not made lightly at all, given the fact that it does affect the, the final result. But given the fact it was a one-point game and, and a point was, was incorrectly added, I'd imagine that uh, it's obviously a decision that, that then therefore needs to be made. Yeah, it, it's a tough decision, and ideally we hope that we, we never have these situations, but human error does happen. Uh, fortunately, we have uh, the mechanics to have video footage to verify the type of situations. Uh, if, if we didn't have that, it would have been difficult to verify. Uh, so the positive out of the negative is that, yes, there's human error, but we've been able to rectify that through technology uh, to ensure that the correct outcome occurs. Definitely not ideal, and it's something that we'd rather not have to go through, but Unfortunately, we can't control everything that happens, but we can control how we manage it and, and make sure that, that the right outcome occurs at the end of the day. So we've spoken to the umpires, we've conducted our internal investigation into the matter before we made this decision, and um, it's a big decision, yes, and being a one-point ball game certainly just complicates the matter even further. But taking that aside, just purely looking at the facts itself and the error that occurred, it was a pretty straightforward decision to make. Well, Peter, appreciate your time in, in giving us clarification as to how that decision uh, came across. Uh, we do appreciate your time. Thanks, Samuel. The 2019 AFL Victoria Metro Junior Development Series concluded over the weekend. The NFNL again had six teams feature in the representative carnival. 
We are now joined by the NFNL Junior Representative Coordinator, Rick Legasic, who's going to take us through the NFNL's performance and, and what he thought of the, the series as a whole. Rick, thank you for joining us. Obviously, a very busy time on the junior calendar. Uh, can you just take us through your thoughts on, on how the series went for the NFNL? Yeah, g'day, Samuel. It, um, it was pretty good. It's funny how quickly it's over. It's a long, drawn-out, um, it's almost like a tension build-up, and all of a sudden, just in a few days, it's, it's gone. And you think, yeah, what do we do now? So um, I think I was pretty aware of that early in the piece. Um, from this point on, we'll do some reviews and so on. We'll do that with the coach and so on. The coaches were were, uh, were fantastic over this over the series and certainly in the training periods and so on. Um, but I'm pretty pleased with the um, development of the kids. At, at, there was some point a few weeks ago that I stood back and said, whoa, these kids have changed. Um, and it was it, it's, it's, it's almost a switch on moment, Samuel. It was uh, it was good to see. The uh, I know going in, we we obviously knew that the, the challenges that would come from the the opposition leagues were taking on a few of the, the really strong competitions. But uh, we said all the way through that we weren't going to, to base our, our I guess our performance on, on just purely on results. But uh, we we notched up three wins along the way. There was also unfortunately some really close losses, and the close ones didn't really go our way. Five losses by by less than two goals. But um, how did you how did you rate the, the performance overall? Their, their performance was terrific. Even on the really, there was an ugly night, the Wednesday night of the, the first round, and um, freezing weather. Some of them were at Belgrave, some were at Heathmont, and so on. It was very, very cold. Um, and all teams had to play in it, so it wasn't really the issue there, but it was uh, pretty challenging. Um, but I tell you what, it, it, um, it was fantastic to see the way the kids performed. They held held the opposition, quality opposition, especially the Eastern uh, and, and Yarra, but certainly that first night, they held the, the, the opposition off really, really well and probably didn't get quite enough um, drive from a couple of key areas, so the coaches adapted that to the, for the next round. Um, I, I, um, I, it was a good thing to see the kids find out what it's like and um, playing against the best. They are the best in the region and they're playing against the best in the other uh, other regions and um, once they'd switched on to that and got over the cold weather night they really performed well on the um on the, uh, the subsequent Saturday and Monday. We've got, obviously, I mean, you talk about the, the cold elements that Wednesday, far from ideal conditions, as you say, pouring rain, really cold night. But then there's also the challenge over the long weekend of, of backing up, you know, twice in three days as well. And, and I guess looking at the performances on Sunday, all sides were able to, to get back out there and, and perform admirably. But that's also another really big challenge as well to, to back up in, in such a short time of, uh, I guess, only two days in between games. They were, they were, the kids were good. They did listen to the coaches, and, and each of the instances I, I uh, um, was involved in at the end of some games is the coaches really, really stressed uh, rest, recovery, um, water, um, taking a walk on the on the break day, and so on. And, and it uh, for for all the contribution the kids had made, um, they still went and did something like this on the Sunday. So so across the board, they all took on what the coaches. Um, advised and, and have taught them. The other part too, you mentioned earlier on about um, it, it's about development and not necessarily the winning, but it was good to get the wins. Um, the coaches were very, very different, but very respectful of what was going on. Um, and in terms of development, if the if a side was going to get clobbered, um, 
you might find the kids might get a bit down. So there's that balance of trying to work out, right, is that part of their development too? We don't want them to get down. We want to understand that, you know, it really takes a lot of work. But they coached accordingly to try. If it looked like they were going to get across the line or across the line, they'd coach accordingly. So they And what happened at the end of the, the games where the, 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 the sides had won, the kids were up and about. It was so good to see. Pretty, pretty up. I, I guess they inspire you a little bit. Um, but it's good to see that they got that result, um, which means I think, well, I know what I have to do now to get a result like this because I know what it's like to get defeated. Um, so they were pretty, I'm pretty pleased with the way the kids have taken that on, especially over that backing up weekend. Do you take away any particular highlight or highlights uh, over that uh, over that period at all, Rick? You know, they're, they're little, well, my, my um, focus has been on development of the kids and development of the coaches. It's parallel, but you don't separate it. Um, and you know, the highlight I take away from it, it's not necessarily what was going on the field, Um I wandered amongst the coaches at the back of the coaches' box and, and listened to the addresses at, at, at all sorts of levels, all the levels and uh, at all the games. And um, the way the coaches were teaching the kids on the bench at the time, so there'd be a rotation, someone would come off, they'd, they'd express to them, so you see what we were doing there and what was working there, see the opposition doing that, that they were teaching and developing the whole time. That in itself is one of the biggest highlights. I really pleased what the coaches were helping the kids um, learn something new and I'd like to think they'll take that back to their own clubs now and say, right, this is what's required when this circumstance arises. I was pretty pleased about way that and that, that's what I took out of it. I think it was a big note I've written down. In terms of, I guess, from, from your point of view, it was the first year you'd taken over as the representative coordinator. Is there any lessons you learned that you changed going forward into, into future years or, and what did you make of the experience as a whole? I, I, I loved it, Tim. It was, it was terrific. It was, um, um, you, you, you're kidding yourself if you think you know everything, and I've learned a lot through this. Um, and there's always something you don't know or always something you've forgotten about. Um, so I've picked up a few things there and made notes of those. Um, we'll review that over the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, looking further ahead, we might think about... Um, it's just a thought process. Maybe um, lengthening the period of training because we don't have them for long. Uh, I do not for one minute want to interrupt training at club level because I think that to get the buy-in at club level, I think um, when I want to take away from them and, the, and their coaches as well. Um, but if we can sort of maybe have a few extra sessions or start the sessions earlier, maybe we can teach a bit more, do that a little bit better. Um, I, 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 I think we've it's critical we give some feedback. So I've asked each of the coaches um, to provide some feedback to... Um, the other coaches in terms of coach-to-coach talk and also, in, most importantly, some feedback to the players. So they'll have their squads to provide the feedback to so they can go away and work with what they do well and develop what they don't. I guess um, now that the, the matches have all been played, obviously it's, it takes a lot to, to get the program uh, up and running, obviously from a, a staff point of view and then also with, with parents taking you know, kids to training and, and around, the, around the metro areas as well for, for matches as well. Clubs also included as well, um, allowing their players to be a part of it. There's a lot of, a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes and a lot of unsung heroes along the way as well. You're spot on. It's... Um... There's a whole lot of work goes on. Firstly, um, I can give you an analogy. I mentioned it once before. It, um, you look at a duck swimming across a pond. It looks nice and smooth and all that sort of thing, but there's a hell of a lot of work paddling underneath. Um, that's exactly what goes on. And I think um, 
the support given by the NFL and particularly Lisa Gangan Pa, who's who's just a magician in the background. And uh, my role is is focused on footy and coaching and development work. Lisa has been extraordinary in her support there. Um, the other part too is is the parents, um, and this doesn't ever get announced, doesn't get noticed, and doesn't get a lot of recognition, but. And we all see it. There's buy-in from parents all over the place. Not only are they taking them to and from games and taking them to and from training and and uh, and all sorts of things like that, there's many of them who actually did a little something for each team each each game. Um, and, you know, I haven't got time here to name a lot of them, but there's such good contribution from from parents and support that um, it's hard to measure. It's so It's so great. And now the players go back to club level. Some will get the opportunity again, potentially, if the under-14s going up into under-15s and, and those under-15s will then go on potentially uh, to hopefully Knights and, and Cannon's uh, talent pathways as well. But uh, I guess, do you have any final words for, for all the players who represented the league and I guess even those who, who tried out through the trial periods as well? I think they take out of it um, is the lesson they've learned from the coaches, the lesson they've learned from the games that they'd experienced against the best in the opposition. The best, um, uh, you know, these our, our players were the, the best in our league, um, but they'll play against the best in other leagues. So that's the way to improve your own performance. But importantly, um, I've seen little things happen um, that they've got their own little groups together. They've got their little social media groups together within the teams. And that's just something that wasn't instigated by us. They just did it themselves because they've found a new group of friends from different areas, different regions, different clubs. Uh, and that social aspect is, is a fabulous thing and it's happened with each of the groups. And, uh, and I now know that I've experienced things over all my years in sport and footy um, that they're all starting out on it. I, I now know that these kids will be... They've, they've met each other now from different clubs. They'll walk down the street. I uh, know they'll be in the Greensboro Shopping Centre. They'll come across so-and-so from another team that they played Brett footy with. And I'll stop and have a 20-minute conversation with them. We might see them again for a year or two or three or four or 20 years in my case, but I'll still be able to cross the street and say hello to that person. There's some friendship and bonding that's gone on. Um, I don't think any other sport can compete with footy. Footy's a great, uh, a great vehicle for that sort of thing. Well, Rick, thank you for all your work throughout the representative campaign. I'm sure now you obviously got the review period, but uh, hopefully kick your feet up after what's been a really long process <laughs> as well. But we really appreciate your time in joining us on the NFNL podcast. Good on you, Samuel. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. We are now joined on the NFNL podcast by Andrew Holmes, the Media and Communications Manager at Fight MND. That is, of course, ahead of Socket to MND round, which the NFNL will host this weekend. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Before we, I guess, get into um, the round as a whole, can you just give us an insight into the organisation at Fight MND and, I guess, the, the message that you're trying to, to spread out there? Thanks, Samuel. Look, Fight MND is now in its fifth year and that's represented by um, our most recent Big Freeze 5 at MCG on Queen's birthday so um, we are a foundation that raises awareness but more importantly raises money for um, committing to, to MND medical research for a disease that uh, currently is um, a disease that has no treatment and no cure so um, a diagnosis with MND is, um, is a terminal diagnosis so uh, Neil Danaher started the foundation along with um, two other men, Pat Cunningham and Ian Davis, about five years ago. Um, we've already been able to commit um, $28.8 million into research, um, but as many people would be aware, um, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money 
to be able to get to the um, the end game and the result that we're all looking for, which is a way to um, to impact the progression of the disease or in fact cure it. So we're we're, um, we're mindful that uh, the job is ahead of us, but we've made some um, some big inroads in the uh, short time that we've been around. Obviously, the support of AFL Victoria now sees many grassroots football and netball leagues hosting a socket to M&D round. Can you just uh, give us uh, an understanding of what the aim is of socket to M&D round and, and what exactly it entails? Look, we have our, you know, as I mentioned earlier, our major Big Freeze campaign, which is the iconic blue beanies that you see a lot around Victoria and around um, Australia now, really. It's, it's, it's really growing, but we wanted something that that spoke to and resonated with more um, smaller suburban and country communities um, where a lot of people are impacted by the disease and um, give give local grassroots sport um, the opportunity to be involved, to fundraise and to and to do something fun, which has always been, um, you know, Neil, Neil, Neil Denneher's mantra about let's fundraise but have fun doing it. So this is a great way where um, sporting clubs and... Um, be it football, netball, soccer, basketball, everyone gets involved now, to be able to create awareness um, by doing something different to their normal um, playing kit and wear blue socks in support of, um, of Fly MND. So it's a way in which we can really uh, engage with um, communities um, and let people um, have a real impact within their own environment to be able to raise money and um, already throughout the um, AFL Victoria relationship this year um we've raised about um two hundred thousand dollars just from the sale of socks alone which is terrific yeah absolutely and i'd imagine that's obviously one of one of your major major campaigns as is obviously as you've mentioned the the big freeze at the g which i guess uh, was a real highlight at the afl fixture between collingwood and, and melbourne how important is that event i guess in, in getting i guess the foundation's name out there and, and i guess spreading the important message as, as you're doing oh look it's enormous i'm not you know, clearly we're, you know, we feel very fortunate to have the, the platform of the big freeze at the MCG. It was a, it was the brainchild of, of Neil and some others, um, as I said five years ago to do something that was, um, gonna make a real impact and have a real, um, have a real significant presence in mainstream media. Um, and, uh, when Collingwood and Melbourne got involved, obviously Neil's connection with Melbourne is, um, is well known. So as, as a former coach, so, um, once both teams got involved, they felt as though there was something they could they could have that was going to be a permanent part of the AFL fixture every year, and um, it's proven to be the case. So look, we're very fortunate. Um, the platform is huge, the audience is huge, and whilst fundraising forms a major part of it, um, so too is making people aware of of the disease and how devastating it is. Um, you know, my neuron disease affects all the um, neurons that um, affect your movement um, and ultimately they die and perish and um, it affects the patient's ability to move and to swallow and to speak and ultimately to breathe. So um, resulting in sort of paralysis and, and, and you know, as I said earlier, it's, a, it, it's eternal disease that um, there is no effective treatment to, to do anything to it in terms of reversing it, slowing it or, um, or arresting it. So it's a really important message um, and I said we've been very fortunate um, to be able to have the support of the AFL, the support of Channel 7 and the two footy clubs and also you know, all the other AFL clubs around, um, around Australia, which then cascades and flows into 
suburban footy clubs and lo- local country communities who all do big free slides and dunking machines and ice bucket challenges, um, which is just a it's a real movement at the moment, and um, hopefully we can um, continue that on until we until we reach our ultimate goal of finding a cure for MND. Can you give any insight? Are we getting any closer at all with the, uh, I guess, the research that, that's going into it as well? Look, it's probably the first time this year in the five years that we've been around. I mean, there's been a lot of state um, state MND associations who have done some great work um, and, and, and fundraised for um, care initiatives, so patients with MND who need assistive equipment, be it um, eye gaze machines if they're unable to move their body, but they can still move their eyes, or wheelchairs, um, and that work has, has been done a lot in the past. Um, I suppose we've come um, in with the capacity to, to raise you know, a lot more uh, money to fund research, um, and this is the first year where we feel as though that we're starting to, you know, as we've been saying, land a few punches now on the beast, and, and um, you know, we feel like we're in the fight because there is some progress being made, albeit early. Um, there are some, um, some positive outcomes from um, from the labs with some clinical trials. We funded seven clinical trials and nine drug development grants across the four, four years so far. So, um, you know, we are being told by the experts that, you know, within five years, um, you know, we, we are hopeful and confident that there'll be a, a treatment on the market at the very least, um, but a cure may still be a little way off. And one final one for, for those tuning in and would like to get more information about the Fight M&D Foundation and potentially uh, donate to to the foundation, where can they go for, for that information? They can go to um, fightmnd.org.au, which is our website. Um, there's a lot of buttons there to, uh, to click to donate um, and all of our events. There's, there's plenty of ways in which people can, um, can fundraise and hold their own um, community fundraisers and there's links to um, to find out more. We've got a fundraising manager who's only too happy to, to help and um, play a role in organising or helping to organise events for people if they want to do something at their local school or their local sporting club or um, anywhere within their own little environment um, in, um, in in order to raise some money and we have, we have fundraisers that raise anything from you know $2,000 to $100,000 so nothing is um, nothing is deemed to be too big or too small, it's um, every dollar counts and it all goes towards, um, you know, world's best research practices. Um, hopefully that we can, um, I remember Neil saying only recently his his grand plan would be to close the foundation down, which would mean that we've, um, you know, we've found a cure. So if that happens, um, you know, happy days for everyone. But uh, un- until that occurs, we'll just keep, um, keep raising money, keep investing in research and keep the fight going. Well, Andrew, it's it's great work that Fight MND are doing. We're extremely proud to be able to to support the, the cause this weekend with our Socket to MND round. Really appreciate your time in joining us on the NFNL podcast. Good yes, Samuel. Thanks for your time and for the for the support of the league as well with um, with the Socket to MND campaign. It means the world to uh, to us, but also those people who are um, affected by the disease and um, living with it every day. Our absolute pleasure. Thanks again, Andrew.